0: So I was, uh, I was having a conversation the other day with my cousin. My cousin's a, uh, in his mid-20s. He's a, he's a little bit younger than me. God's been doing some really cool things in his life. He's had a tough journey. Uh, a number of years ago, about, oh, I guess it'd be about four and a half years ago, my uncle, uh, his dad, passed away from cancer. And he struggled tremendously, as, as you can imagine. He struggled tremendously through that struggled emotionally and spiritually but but by God's miraculous work and truly truly miraculous in a lot of ways if I had time to tell the whole story God has drawn him back in in this last year and part of what God has used in that process is a wonderful, loving church family that he's been a part of. And he describes this church family as the most loving church family that he's, he's been a part of. You know, he, he grew up in the church and he appreciates the things that the church that he went to as a child uh, did for him, the things that he learned and, and, and the different people that he met there. Um, but he would say this, this church family is the most loving church family that, that he's ever experienced right people practically and tangibly loving and honestly caring for each other and he's incredibly relationally connected there and, and involved now but even as he, we were talking about this he he said that he's begun struggling a little bit because my my uh, as it, as it ha- as it occurred he he was disconnected from the church and my aunt who loves the lord was encouraging him to be a part of a church and said hey I'll go with you. If, you if you would go and try this church. I'll go with you to this church. And so my aunt went with him and he got connected. And, and even though she was the one that encouraged him to go, now he's much more connected relationally than she is, is this church is kind of this young church that a lot of people that are uh, much more like my cousin than my aunt go to church there. And so my aunt continues to go to church with, with him, but now he's struggling because, because my aunt doesn't really fit in with the rest of the church body, right? Now, now, my aunt, she's, you know, she's in her late 50s. And, you know, that being said, she looks much younger than she is. And, you know, she is really cool, which, I mean, genetically, that's just a curse that Watermans have. And so we just have to deal with, you know, being cool and looking youthful and those kind of things and sets us apart, I know. But anyway, but... She's still an older lady in a younger church. She's a widow, and people know her as Sean's mom, right? She goes to church. Oh, hey, Sean's mom. Hi, Sean's mom. Now, no doubt she's happy to make those concessions, those trades, in order to see her son, who has been in such a rough place, be in a good community, to see what God is doing through that community in his life, but... It made me wonder if a church that's known for making people feel like they belong so well could be missing it somewhere with a particular person, with a particular group, A church that's known for the way that they are so loving to others, the way that they receive people in, the way that they're relationally connected with one another in really meaningful ways, even outside of Sunday or outside of their small groups or whatever. If they could be known for all of those things, for making people feel like they belong, and yet they could miss it in one place. Whom might we be missing? Whom might we proclaim What's, what's our blind spot, if you will? What's the kind of person that would walk into proclaim on a Sunday morning and feel like they didn't belong? At the outset of the book of Romans, we said that, that the entire book is about how the gospel must shape our church's beliefs and behaviors. And The gospel, Christ's life, death, and resurrection, and that through faith in that, we're justified in the sight of God. That's the gospel, right? And outside of or or from that truth, revolving around it are certain, uh, uh, certain beliefs, certain gospel beliefs, right? And revolving around those gospel beliefs are certain gospel behaviors that we ought to have. And so the question is, if this is the gospel that, that through Christ and what he's done, we belong now in God's family, then how does that, what's the truth, what's the belief that we ought to have about belonging in God's family? And what are the behaviors that we ought to have? And there's two sides of this. There's how we see as a community, how we see others, right? So there's a corporate aspect of this. How do we as a community see other people? Do they belong? And and how do we as a community behave with other people? Do we make them feel like they belong, right? And then there's an individual aspect to this, do I see my, how do I see myself? What do I believe about myself in regards to whether or not I belong in God's family? And then how does that affect my behavior? So there's a corporate aspect and there's a individual aspect. And I want to talk about that this morning and how this passage relates to both of them. As Stephen was reading it, you might be sitting there reading it along and going like, you know, Abraham and faith, and he said circumcision like 40 times, and I don't even know what's going on in this passage, right? And it's a passage that that you you read and you go like, okay, something's happening here, but I just kind of got lost in the, in the weeds, but I, what I want to do is I want to break it down for you and show that it's actually incredibly simple what, what Paul is saying. He, he He says it in a complicated way for us to understand, but it's actually incredibly simple. We saw last week that, If we're justified by faith alone in Christ alone, that we can't have pride in the fact that we are part of God's family, right? We can't have pride in the fact that we are saved because God did it all. And then in chapter four, verse one, Paul asks this question, what's gained then by Abraham, the forefather, according to the flesh? In other words, what's gained by being ethnically Jewish and bearing the sign of Judaism through circumcision, and it begins to spell out that it's not according to the flesh that makes us part of God's family. But it's by faith. And so, as we move into this passage today, what we're going to find is what Paul is saying is, it's by faith that we're justified apart from circumcision, apart from the law, apart from these other things. That's what makes us belong. Abraham was the original recipient of God's promise and blessing, and he's not just an example of faith to us. It's not just like, oh, wow, Abraham had such great faith, and we just want to try to have faith like Abraham has. Rather, he is like this historical parable to us, foreshadowing an entire paradigm of how faith turns into forgiveness and how Abraham, as the faith father, if you will, how he is the faith father of all who belong in God's family. So that's the foundation for what we're talking about. And the question is, how do we belong? How do we belong in God's family? And I want to share with you this morning three lies and one truth. You ever played that game, two truths and a lie? It's like this like, get-to-know-you game. It's like, it's like the thing that they try to do when you're in a new group, and they want you to feel like you belong and get to know each other a little bit, and so you play two truths and a lie, but it's always super awkward because I never know what lies or what truth to use and whatever. So I kind of flipped it around, three lies and a truth about belonging in God's family. And these are lies we tell ourselves when we don't feel like we belong. They're lies that you, I am sure, have told yourself when you feel like you don't belong in a church. Have you ever felt like that? And they're lies that we allow ourselves to live out towards others, oftentimes without realizing it. Guys, this is what I want you to understand. These are the kinds of lies that you would never say out loud you believe, but they're the kinds of lies that you practically live out in your behavior, okay? Okay. We all have blind spots, right? You have things that you do that you don't realize until someone else tells you. Can we agree with that? And I want you to think, I want you to stop and really think as we go through this. And, and, and examine your heart because your heart is deceptive. And you may not say out loud that you believe something, you believe one of these lies, but your behavior, your behavior might show that actually, underneath the surface, there are some assumptions that you have that are not biblical, and we need to examine those as well. And so, those assumptions may never have been pressed into. If I press into them a little bit this morning, uh, I would say I'm sorry, but I'm really not sorry, actually. Like, you may need those to be pressed into. So, here, here, here they are, lie number one. Belonging in God's family means having faith and the right outward identifiers, okay? Belonging in God's family means having faith and the right outward identifiers. Now, we're not, um, we're not like uh, doing this, hey, if you're circumcised, you're in. If you're not circumcised, you're not, like they did in the first century around Judaism, right? But we have our own outward right identifiers, do we not? Things that go, okay, hey... I can see, based on what I what I see, based on the, what's on the outside, that person belongs or that person doesn't belong. And so, Paul, this is the first question Paul considers. Is this blessing, this blessing of forgiveness, this blessing of not having your sins counted against you that we might be counted righteous instead, is it only for the circumcised, for those who have this right outward identifier, or is it also for the uncircumcised? Now, circumcision, you need to understand, it was both a religious and a cultural symbol in the first century. The Jews in this day would commonly see circumcision as a sort of membership card into the Jewish people, if you will. It's how you belonged to God's people. It's how you belonged to the Hebrew nation. And Abraham was the first of everyone. Paul's been using Abraham, right, as this paradigm-shaping example of of what faith is and how how it operates in, in counting us as righteous. And so, how did this work for Abraham, Paul asks you think Abraham is this example, and you think circumcision is this right outward identifier that's your membership card into God's people, but how did it actually work for Abraham? Do you ever go back to Genesis and read that passage? I remember, not sadly, not very long ago, I, can't, I was reading Romans, and I came across this, this verse, and I actually was like, wait a second. Was it before or was it after? And I actually flipped back to Genesis to read the story to go, I really don't know. I've, I've been a pastor for 10 years or more. I don't know. I mean, Paul says it, so I believe what Paul's saying, but I guess I never really thought about it. And if we go back to Genesis and you read the story, what you find out is that first Abraham had faith and God counted that as righteousness. And it says it was counted to him as righteousness. And then actually much later, a few chapters later, then God instructs him about circumcision. Thus, Paul's saying in verse 11, that circumcision is a sign and a seal of the righteousness that was already counted to him by faith. It was counted to him by faith while he was uncircumcised, while he didn't have the right outward identifier. That's when God did it. Circumcision was never meant to produce righteousness, but to point to it. So there are outward identifiers that we would think about, about who belongs in God's family, who belongs in the church, and who doesn't, who belongs in our church even. Paul says, no. It's for the uncircumcised who have faith. Some without being circumcised and some who have faith While being circumcised, all of them are part of this family. So, line number one is refuted. It's not faith and the right outward identifiers. If God's true people have always been by faith, not outward identifiers like uh, ethnic identifiers or cultural identifiers. Do we receive people in regardless of those kinds of things? Do we actually live that out? Is there an outward identifier that if someone walked into our church and and, and they had one identifier, you would readily receive them even if you didn't know them? And if they had a different identifier, you wouldn't readily receive them if you didn't know them? That's a problem, guys. That is indicative of something going on in your heart that is sinful, period. Is a Christian not a Christian if they don't look a certain way or fit the right cultural mold or have the right social group or the right views, etc.? And we might say, well, of, of course, of course they are. But, but when the rubber meets the road, do we live it out? If our heart follows that up with, yeah, yeah, of course they're, of course they're a Christian, of course they're in God's family, just not, just maybe not our church. That's a problem. Or if you'd greet them on Sunday when you're at church, but if you saw them outside of church somewhere, you wouldn't greet them. That's a problem, guys. If you treat them one way here because it's church, it's Sunday morning, but then if you saw them somewhere else, if you wouldn't invite them into your home because of something that was going on on the outside, that's a problem. You've made it about faith and something else again. Here, here's the truly remarkable piece. This is what this is, this, is, this is where the gospel is so... Stinking awesome. The blessing of belonging through faith actually brings about a new identity, okay? Talking about right outward identifiers. Here's the cool thing. That, that through faith in Christ, it actually brings us a new identity. We're moved from rebel sinner to child of God. And the Bible says that this identity is not merely another part of who we are. It's not, it's not just like another name tag you stick on yourself. Like... Like I might have, oh, oh I've got the child of God sticker and I've got the father sticker and I've got the husband sticker and I've got the pastor sticker and I've got the, uh, you know, works out at 5.30 in the morning sticker or whatever things that you do, that you're into, that are your outward identifiers. Instead, this identity transcends and transforms every other identity that you have. It's as if every sticker, every name tag has child of God on it. I'm a child of God father. I'm a child of God husband. I'm a child of God pastor. It transforms and transcends every single identity. It's not just the most important identity. It shapes every identity, and that's awesome. Lie number two. Belonging in God's family means having faith and the right outward behaviors. Paul has talked about faith apart from circumcision. Now he's going to talk about faith apart from the law. Abraham was thought of as this righteous person, the the most righteous, because he was so faithful to following God's law. And that's why God promised him to make him heir of the world, right? Wait, Paul points out here, and he points out in Galatians as well, that God made that promise to him that he would be heir of the world first before the law even existed. In fact, he made that promise to him 430 years before any of his descendants ever even got the law. And he adds to this reasoning in verse 14, if you see that, if it was adherents who are Abraham's heirs, who are heirs to this promise, then faith wouldn't matter and the promise wouldn't even happen because he's already told us that none of us follow the law well, right? None of us follow it perfectly. In fact, if we look at Abraham's story, we find out that he didn't even follow the law very well, did he? Twice, he goes into a country and he tells tells the people that his wife is his sister because he's worried that he might get killed. He told them the truth. You see, we make for ourselves our own laws in church, right? Have you ever heard someone say, Oh, I don't know if I belong there. I don't know if I belong here. These people kind of have their lives together, and I'm like, I'm like a mess over here. You ever, you ever thought that? You ever heard someone say you don't have to raise your hand, right? Maybe you've thought that. Maybe you've heard someone say that. What we're doing when we do that is we cr- we're creating some kind of unexpressed law in our head, our own law, if you will, our own standard, however we've defined it, however we've defined having your life together, whatever that means to us, and then we decided that whether uh, or not we're doing that well enough is whether or not we actually belong. But God's word says, no, that's not it. Not only does God say that your obedience isn't the deciding factor, but there's other, a couple uh, of other problems with this way uh, of thinking. First, you're probably picking and choosing laws that aren't even in alignment with God's word to some degree. Typically, the really obvious things or the things that are culturally frowned on become the bigger issues, right? If we all struggle with greed in our church, then magically that becomes not so important. It's not that big of a deal, it disappears. Conversely, if we all vote Republican, then voting Democrat magically becomes this high standard. It's a wrong outward behavior, right? Am I pushing any buttons yet? So we create laws that aren't even laws that in any way align with with God's word. Second, and I think this is probably, when we tell this to ourselves, I think this is probably the most prevalent issue. You see 100% of your life and you only see 1% of everyone else's, right? And we have a tendency to compare 100% of my life and what's going on in my heart and in my brain, which is sometimes really nasty, to the 1% of what I see someone else doing this fraction of the time on Sunday morning, and I think they've got their lives together, and I'm a mess. There's no way I could fit but if we saw their life, if they were honest enough to say, look, this is what I'm actually dealing with. This is what is actually going on in my heart. This is what's actually going on in my life. I'd, we'd probably all go, actually, I fit in pretty well here. We're all pretty screwed up. But by God's grace, he's doing things in our life. Messed up. We're messed up people who love Jesus and are just trying to figure it out by his grace. And here's the hope, guys. Here's, here's where... The gospel actually gives us hope rather than cutting us off. God empowers heirs of the promise to a new way of living. When you have faith in Christ, you become an heir to this promise, and he actually empowers us to a new way of living. It's it's not behaving a certain way that makes us belong. It's belonging through faith that begins to change how we behave. I've used this illustration before. We adopted Silas when he was a year and a half old. We flew to Hong Kong, picked him up. It was funny. We saw him one day. The next day, we saw him, and they're like, okay, sign here. We took him, and that was like pretty much it, right? Oh, he's, I guess he's part of our family now. We brought him home, and there were ways in which he didn't act like a waterman, right? He didn't act like our other two children, but we didn't tell him like, well, okay, Silas, you know, we'll see how it goes. We'll see if you can change your behaviors a little bit. If you can act a little bit more like a waterman, then maybe we'll finalize the adoption. No, we didn't say that. We said, no, we, we love you. We've decided to love you. We've decided you're in our family. We are adopting you. We finalized it. And then as he belonged in our family, his personality, his behaviors begin to be shaped by the family he was in, friends. And when you are adopted as a believer and you become a part of God's family and you live in that community, in that family, that family begins to form you. Faith in Christ begins to form you through the Holy Spirit and you begin to actually look more and more like the thing that you are. Through faith, you call yourself a Christian. And through belonging by faith, you actually begin to look like Christ. The order matters. Line number, uh, number three Belonging in God's family means having faith and the right outward experiences. So we've, we've said, hey, it's not the right outward identifiers, it's not the right outward behaviors, but also it's not the right outward experiences. Let me explain. The beginning of verse 17, it ends the last section with a quote from, from God to Abraham, right? That God has made him the father of many nations. And that sets up this last section, because if you remember, by all outward experiences and all outward appearances, Abraham wasn't going to be the father of any children with Sarah. You remember the story, verse 19 says, when Abraham considered his own body for all intents and purposes, especially for this particular intent and purpose, right? He was as good as dead. He was 100 years old. The guy wasn't going to have any kids anytime soon. And then you've got the problem of Saren being barren her entire life. Through her best childbearing years, she couldn't have any kids, no matter how hard they tried. And here she is, almost dead, and God's saying, hey, you're going to have all of these children. You're going to be the heir of this entire family. And Abraham's going like, what? Or at least that's what we would say. But instead, verse 18, it says that in hope, he believed against hope that mean? Abraham's hope in God superseded any kind of earthly-based hope. The kind of hope that we have in an earthly sense and the way we think earthly, he subjected that under the hope that he had in God. What was his hope based in? Did you see it? Look back at verse 17 real quick. Look at it. That God is a God who makes dead things live again. That God is a God who makes non-existing things exist. And if I hope and I believe in that kind of God, then why shouldn't he give me a child, even though I'm 100 and my wife is barren? If God is the creator of the world, who created something out of nothing, who created everything out of nothing, then why shouldn't he? And he even looks forward to the fact that God would resurrect the dead, right? I wonder, what in your life isn't that you wish was? What seems dead that you wish was alive? Stop believing that God can do it if he wants. Now, you might hear this and worry, gosh, if I have doubts, sometimes I doubt. Sometimes I doubt that I'm really saved. Sometimes I doubt that God can really do these things. I don't have the same kind of faith experiences that that it seems that other people have? Am I really part of God's family? Did I pray the right prayer? Do, Do I have the right spiritual gift? Is my life blessed enough to be considered a Christian? I'm not sure. What I'm saying to you is it's not faith and the right outward experiences. When we make it about faith plus this gift or plus these magic words or plus whatever we've decided is the is standard for perfect faith, we make it about works again, don't we? We've just shifted the work to faith. In fact, As I said, Abraham didn't get this right all the time. His faith wasn't perfect. I just told you a second ago, twice he called his wife his sister because he was worried he would die. That is not trusting God that he would keep him alive so that he could have children, right? And so his faith isn't perfect. But no moment of doubt left him ultimately wavering about the promise of God. He he, he might have had doubts and situations, but his heart was fully convinced that God would do it. When you have those moments of doubt and you do something foolish, and look, every time you sin, let me, let me, let me tell you this, every time you sin, that's a moment of doubt. Every time that you sin, that is a moment of doubt. That, that is nothing more than unbelief. It's not believing God in that moment with that thing. remember, the father of faith had moments like that too. So commit your heart to the Lord and trust him. And and here's the wonderful truth. When we walk with faith through our experiences, our faith is actually deepened and strengthened. It's not faith and the right outward experiences that make us belong, nor is it blind faith, nor is faith blind. It doesn't refuse to look at the outward experiences, the outward appearances that we have. It's just looking through, it's looking at life through a different lens. It's looking at life through the lens of God's promises. Listen, these are, these are the faith lenses. When we look at life through God's promises, we recognize that God's perspective is greater than our perception of reality. You have a perception of what is happening in your life and around you that may or may not be accurate. You know that's true. Because you've assumed things at different times and found out later that you were wrong. You have a perception of reality that may or may not be true. And if God is who God says he is, then his perspective is greater. Abraham recognized God as qualitatively different and able in ways that he wasn't. If he created something out of nothing, if he has the power even over death, then he is unlike me. So I ought to trust him faith lenses, they focus on God's character, not the context of our life. Do you focus on God's character rather than the context of your life? Abraham initially shifted his thoughts from his own issue to God's power to provide solutions. He didn't fixate on the fact that he was 100 years old. He fixated on the fact that God can make dead things alive. When we become fixated on ourselves, we lose sight of God's promises, and our faith wanes. Last, faithfulness trusts God's word over our wisdom. Now, I like to think of myself as a pretty smart guy. I like to think, you know, I'm pretty, pretty wise. If people would listen to me, that maybe their lives would be a little bit better, right? But I got to trust God's word over my own wisdom. Abraham would have probably been pretty satisfied with a couple of sons. God, if you would just give me a son, if you'd just give me just two or three sons through Sarah, I, I, that'd be enough. I'd be so thankful. How short-sighted. God. Had a way bigger and longer-range plan, and here we are talking about a guy who lived four thousand years ago. He probably would have settled for four sons and been pretty happy. We're talking about him being the faith father of all of God's people. Faith, guys, is based in facts. I want you to understand, faith is based in facts. It's just a different set of facts that we're looking at. And so here's the deal. We talked about three lies. Belonging in God's family doesn't mean faith and uh, right outward identifiers or, or behaviors or experiences. True faith will give us a new identity. It will transform our behavior. It will give us a different perspective on life and on our experiences. But those things come after faith, not before. Those things are a product of faith. We believe and then God does those things in us. And here's the truth. Here's the truth I want to give you. All who believe the gospel are counted in God's family. Every single one. This is what it says in verses 23 through 25. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. You see what he's saying? That was written so that we who are in Christ would read those and go, ah, I can belong to It will be counted to us who believe in him who was raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. That's the truth. Do we behave accordingly? By faith in Christ, God adopts us into his family, the big C church, all believers in all times, in all places. But But biblically, we see that people are part of little C churches as well, tangible, local representations of that greater spiritual reality that we belong. And God knows that that doesn't match up perfectly all the time. He knows, and he's good with the fact that we're flawed people and flawed communities and flawed churches, and we don't always get it right perfectly because that shows just how awesome he is, that it's not about us, it's about him. So just as faith brings us into membership in this universal church, we have membership in in local churches. We belong in God's family right here, right now, in this church family, right? It's not a perfect one-to-one. We screw things up. We have flaws and limitations, but we strive to manifest, and we should strive to manifest this great spiritual reality that we all belong by faith in God's family in tangible ways. And there's a, as I said, there's a personal and there's a corporate application. So let's start with the personal first. You might walk into a church, maybe even here today, You walked in knowing that you're a believer, understanding that you are a part of God's family, and you might even be confident in that reality. No, I'm confident that I am in Christ. There's something creeping up in your head. There's something crawling into your heart that's telling you that you don't actually belong here. That's because because you haven't had the right experiences or because you've had the wrong experiences. Because you don't have the right identifiers or because you have had the wrong behaviors in the past. You struggle with them still today and I'm sure no one else struggles with those things. So I must not belong. Friends, what I want you to know is Satan is lying to you. He wants you to feel like you don't belong. That's what he wants you to feel like. He wants to isolate you. That has been his plan, his scheme from the beginning. He has no new tricks. He's only got like three different things he does. He's just incredibly good at deploying them. And he is telling you lies to make you feel like you don't belong. He's telling you things like everyone knows about that conflict you had. You could never belong here now. Can't you see that you look different than everyone else? You can't belong here. Oh, sure, people struggle with sin. Well, fine, fine, fine. But no one struggles with that sin. You you don't belong. You'll never fit in. You don't, you don't want to... They don't want you to hear. That's what he's telling you. That's a lie. Now, you might say, well, Cody, but I'll grant that that's true. But, but listen, if, if it wasn't for the fact that, that you're a believer and I'm a believer, I mean... We'd never even talk. We'd never even be friends. How can I belong? uh, So? That's my response. So? So what? You're saying that's a negative? I'm saying that's a positive. That's what's awesome about God's family. When you have Jesus in common, you have everything in common. And I've been in other countries... Countries where I don't even speak the language. I've walked into groups. I've gone to church services. And I don't know, I only know one in 10 words that are being used. And I have felt like I belong in ways that I don't feel like I belong sometimes in churches here in the States. Why? Because it's the Holy Spirit working in that community. And in me. There is a kindred spirit with others Because they are my brothers and sisters in Christ, and I will spend eternity with them. Right? So if you feel like you don't belong sometimes, don't believe the lies. Don't believe the lies. But there's also a corporate application here that I want to talk about. It's it's not good enough for us as a church to merely say to people, well, don't you know you belong? That's what the Bible says. It doesn't matter how anyone acts towards you or how you feel. Well, that's not good enough. The Bible says that's not good enough of course it matters. We're called to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to extend his kingdom to others, to make tangible the deep spiritual realities of what God has done through Christ in making people belong in God's family. That doesn't just happen. That takes work. That takes intentionality, just like God has said, no, marriage is awesome. And I bring people together in this unity in their one flesh. And you go, wow, that's a spiritual reality that happens. But Husbands, you know. Wives, you know. If you don't work on that, you ain't feeling that. Like, it takes work every day to connect with my wife, to cultivate that relationship so that our marriage can flourish, right? It takes work, church, to cultivate a sense of belonging in our community so that people can flourish. Are we willing to sacrifice our comfort for the comfort of others? Jesus is willing to take on human form, come live as a servant, come to earth, sacrifice his comfort in order that we could belong with him. Will we take up our cross? Friends, this isn't something you do on Sunday morning. This is the way we are as believers. So here's a pulse check. A couple of questions. If you'd say you belong here, you say, yeah, I belong and proclaim. I've been here for a while. This is my church. Do you see yourself as a greeter of new people? If someone new walks in, do you say, I need to greet that person? Or do you just talk to the same friends you'll probably see later and you'll be texting later anyways? Now, now that's not to say that our, that our first impressions and our greeting team do a bad job. I think they do a terrific job. In fact, over this last year through COVID, they've done an incredible job through some really uncomfortable and awkward situations, am I right? But that doesn't mean, oh, well, they do that, so I don't have to, like, you know, do anything. That's their job. No, in some sense, that's all of our jobs, Right? Let me ask you another pulse check question. When's the last time you invited someone over to your house? If, you've, if you would say, this is my church. This is where I belong. This is, I've been here. This, like, I, I'm part of this. When's the last time you invited someone over to your house? Not like your bestie, you know, who's probably going to show up randomly anyways without even calling you or, or you know, saying that they're coming, right? Like, like someone who you go, you know what, I need, I need to invite them over. They need to come over for dinner. I need to invite them for coffee or for lunch. So here's, here's my challenge to you. And here's, here's what's wonderful. There are people in our church who are doing awesome at this. And I have experienced this in awesome ways in our community and yet, we still recognize that there can't be holes. And so here's my challenge. What's one step that you can take? What's one step that you can take? One person that you've thought, oh, I ought to reach out to that person. Reach out to them. What's one family that you've talked with your spouse about inviting them over for dinner or taking them out to lunch? Stop waiting. Do it. Just do it. One act of service that, that might make someone feel like they belong that you thought, you know, oh, that would be cool. I should probably do that. And you've just not done it yet. Take that step this week. That's my challenge. What's one thing that you can do to help someone else feel like they belong? To be God's tangible hands and feet in this way. Let's pray.